Good morning, Crossroads family. It is, I'm going to borrow your stand because I'm not nearly tall enough to use that one. That way I don't mess you up too much. Hey, I've, been, I've asked a couple of the uh, band members to stay up here because I want to I wanna open with a with an illustration. Um, Mike is the only one that has seen this illustration. I, I think it'll be fun. But um, So real quick, just um, by a show of hands, how many of you think that you are great multitaskers? Okay. Um, not surprisingly, most of the hands that went up were, were ladies' hands. That's not, that's not uncommon when we ask that. Um, so I, I'm going to... How many of you think you're good multitaskers? How many think you're good multitaskers? Not a trick question. Okay. All right. Awesome. So, again, reinforces my theory. All right. So, we're going to put that to the test. So, here's what I need you guys to do. I need you guys to be in a circle, and, um, and you're going to hold out your left palm. So, I'm going to demonstrate with, with, uh, with Michael here. So, I'm going to put my right index finger in his uh, right, left palm, and you're going to put your right index finger in my palm just like that. Beach, you're going to do the same thing. All right. All right. I know it's kind of hard to see this, but here's what we're going to do. In just a second, when I say go... And not until I say go. I need you to do two things at one time, all right? The first thing you're going to do is capture the finger of the person on your left while preventing your index finger from being captured, okay? So a win would look like this, okay? Any other variation, we didn't, we didn't do what we were supposed to do, okay? All right. On your mark, get set. Hands down when we do this. We never find good multitasking. We always find a mind reader. All right, on your mark, get set, go. Dang it. All right, we'll try it again. Reset. On your mark, get set, go. Oh, oh, got it right here. All right, now, it's possible that some of you may be left-handed, so just, just in case, we'll switch. Um, okay. All right, on your mark, get set, go. All right, very good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Several years ago, um, Bobby and I started using that as an, as an illustration um, for some of our opening programming when we were running summer camps and, and doing corporate team building. And we started off using it kind of as, a, as an icebreaker, as an opener. And one day, I was, we were doing this activity, and something profound occurred to me um, in the midst of that because we always got the same, the same results over and over and over. And uh, I was working with a ministry group that particular day, and it occurred to me how um, oftentimes we perceive ourselves as excellent uh, multitaskers, but the reality is we're not. Our brains aren't wired that way. Um, in fact, the human brain cannot focus 100% of its thought process on two things at one time. So we have this perception about ourselves, and we have this perception that we're good multitaskers, but the reality is that we're not. And so it kind of started me on this... Um, this journey of kind of thinking about, you know, all the spiritual implications of that. And, and some are pretty obvious about, you know, you know, we can't focus on, you know, worldly things and, and on God. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. Um, but I really felt like um, that the Lord was, was laying when, when Mike and Lowell and them had asked me to, to speak. And, and, uh, and again, I had several months to, to kind of think through. I really felt like that the Lord wanted me to share this. Um, and I got to be honest with you, um, it's... I don't want to say it's not that profound because I do think it's profound for us, but I, I don't expect some big aha moment. This is for me, this is, and for you, it's going to be Christianity 101, but it's, 
it's been very profound for me for the last 90 days to kind of to meditate on this and just realize um, how often I'm distracted by things. Um, and I think what perpetuated me to, uh, to kind of move forward and, and present this to us at this time was in looking back over the last year and some of the studies that we've been doing, um, learning to walk as Jesus walked. We've been doing studies on the Holy Spirit. We, we talked about busyness. Um, and uh, Marianne had back in the spring had, had told Katie and I about the, the um, study we we're going to be doing in the fall. Um, and we're going to be doing, reading a book um, called uh, Anxious for Nothing. Um, Katie had actually read the book last year and it, it really really um, inspired her and it changed the way that she um, approached her prayer life it, it changed the way she approached a lot of things and so I'm sharing this with you not because I have arrived but rather um, I'm trying to catch up with my wife and um, and so I am so blessed to have a helpmate um, that is truly my better half she she has grace and humility where I don't uh, she has kindness and compassion um, if she needs self-righteousness, I've got that. So we've got that covered. But, but she has um, so much of the things that I lack. And so she started reading this book, Be Anxious for Nothing. And it really, really um, changed the way that she thought about things. And so when Marianne had shared with us that we were going to be doing that study, I started reading the book. Um, because like most husbands, you know, my wife nags me to do something, nags me to do something until I have to do it, I won't do it. And then all of a sudden I, I felt the motivation to do it. And, it. and it's kind of changed my perspective on some things. And so I don't share this with you today again, having arrived, I don't share this um, with you saying this is how I do it. I share this with you as nothing else of going, this is what I hope to look like in the future. This is where I hope that I'm headed in the future. Um, I hope that this will be um, meaningful to some of you, um, but at the very least, pray for me that, that I will um, diligently seek um, that which I'm, I'm sharing with you. So to get back to the, to the exercise, what, what we discovered in the exercise, and again, when we ask people, the vast majority of the people, the vast majority of times, ladies will say, shake their head and say, yes, they're good multitaskers. And I will admit that, that women tend to be better. Their minds, their brains are wired to be better at multitasking than men. Men are great at compartmentalizing. We're really, really good at focusing on a task and everything, but we don't, we don't always... Um, look through the big picture or the, the multiple projects that are lingering, right? And so, and, and it's funny because in all these years of facilitating uh, team building events, Bobby can attest to this, we, we find, we, we really can see when you're doing these activities, you really can see how men and women process and problem solve differently. And what we found is that when, when we have co-ed groups, they actually are much more efficient than when it's just women or it's just men. And I believe it's because our brains are wired to, um, to process things differently. So I want to challenge us with this idea that we're not actually good at multitasking, but we are pretty decent at prioritizing, right? We can, we can look at something and prioritize it, but we cannot focus 100% of our thought process on two things at one time. Yet most of our day is spent doing just that. It's multitasking, right? It's, it's looking, it's multi-problem multi solving. And so some of the things that I was thinking about was with, with work. And then just like in my own profession, um, you know, there's always administrative stuff that needs to be done. There's invoicing or payroll or there's all kinds of things like that that we're trying to, we're trying to balance and manage. Um, 
Running a retreat center is always repairs to do, so we're trying to factor that into our day. You know, when, when do I do this project versus doing this admin stuff? And, and then also running programming, doing the, the work of our hands, the things that we enjoy doing, running the ropes course and doing all that. And so on any given day, you know, we have to, I have to bounce back between all of those things, answering emails and running programming and, and you know, fixing something and doing all that. And that can be exhausting. But it doesn't just stop there, you know, we, I'm, I'm married, I have three small children, and I, I have parents, and I have friends, and, and other relationships, and so I'm constantly um, managing my time and trying to manage my, um, my interaction with them, and, and I don't always do great at that, right? I, I, you know, sometimes, you know, last night, I came home, and I had had a long day at work, and I was really tired, and I walked in the door, and all three of my children were just going, Daddy, 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 and trying to tell me something and share something with me, and, and as much as I wanted to give all three of them equal time, I just didn't have the ability to do that, and, uh, and my, my middle daughter got left out. You know, she felt, you know, I think she, she felt like that, you know, she was not the loudest and so, therefore, she didn't, she didn't get heard. And, and, uh, and I saw, you know, when she, she was upstairs, she was kind of by herself. And I went upstairs, and she was like, I was trying to tell you something, but you were listening to what Nathan said. And then Gabby interrupted, and, and that's just the reality. I, can't, I cannot focus on all three at the same time. And then, then there's our free time, the things that we want to do in our free time, the, the time for ourselves, the, that space that, that, we, that we need to create where we focus on, on doing the things that, that bring us joy and, and trying to balance that with the chores and the things that, that we need to get done, the repairs that, at our home that need to be made or, or you know, spending, you know, spending time reading or, or catching up on something. And so we're constantly trying to multitask. I was watching a video the other week and, and a, a guy from, I think it was Harvard, was giving a commencement speech and he was talking about um, how this profound thing had occurred to him one night while he was flipping through trying to watch Netflix and I found myself doing this at night like everybody's gone to bed. I finally got time to sit down and so I cut on Netflix and I start scrolling through and I'm completely undecided about what I'm going to watch, right? Like there's just, I'm just overwhelmed by the possibilities and I'm so exhausted and my mind is so divided that I, I can't even just pick something and watch. And so 30 minutes goes by and I realize that I've scrolled through this and I've done nothing. Um, and this guy was sharing this and, and the profoundness of that in today's society. And so it really kind of reemphasized for me uh, what I wanted to share with us today. And... Uh, and what I want to share with us is that, that we, we live in a culture, we live in a world that is constantly driving us to multitask and to multi-prioritize and to do those things. But the problem is, is that because of our sinfulness, because of our brokenness, our, our meter, our gauge, our ability to do that is broken. But we live with this false sense of perception that we've really got it together and that we can do that. And it's okay that some things fall through the, through the cracks. And, and there's this constant busyness and there's this constant anxiousness that exists within us because we're constantly trying to do this, but we're doing it with a broken meter. We're doing it with a, with a, with a faulty uh, compass. And if you think about it, a lot of times, you know, most of our anxiety, most of our struggles comes between trying to, trying to discern between the difference between our wants and our needs. You know, I mean, I, I have my kids all the time. I'm trying to, trying to help them understand. My kids will come downstairs and they're bored and, and they, they want to go do something or they'll say, I need this or I need that. And I'm going, man, I think about, you know, how, how much of our life is spent. You know, if you think about just TV and advertisements and things like that, we're constantly bombarded with this, you need this, right? Like, this is going to make your life better. And, and so 
we, we buy into that, right? We, we, we buy the product, we, we buy the next, the next best thing, only to find that it doesn't produce in us what we thought it was going to do. We're constantly bombarded with the shoulds and should nots. You know, we've got, you know, I, I shouldn't eat this, I should eat that, I should get up and exercise more, I should spend time doing this, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't spend so much time watching TV, and there's this constant back and forth between the shoulds and should nots. We even do it in our faith, right? Like, you know, it's funny when I, I love to hear people label something as, as Christian or secular. And how often, you know, we get so confused or we get so hung up on something because it's Christian. Or, and even my kids do it, and, and I do it. I mean, uh, we've got Alexas in our house, and at night I'll ask Alexa to play Christian music while my kids are going to sleep, right? And, and then one night it occurred to me that... Um, that how funny that is that I mean that the songs are definitely spiritual songs but but some of the most intimate moments that I've had with my children have been dancing to what we would classify as a secular song um, I've already got the the songs that I, I hope to dance to um, at my daughter's weddings picked out and they're they're secular country songs but um, but and so I, we practice dancing together right and and there's something extremely spiritual about that right and it's beautiful and it's amazing and it and it warms my soul and it changes me and it does something but you know if if I go and look it's a secular song right and so even in our faith we're we're constantly doing that and I think there's a reason that that happens to us and and so as I was kind of praying through this, the, the, the book of James came to mind and I was thinking about in James um, 1.8 where James cautions us and he says that a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways or in all the things that he does. And I've really been thinking a lot about that double-mindedness. I remember when we used to do life skills here and we were going through the life skills training and um, Paul Hedgecombe, the, the developer of it, was talking about that. And he said he distinctly remembers a particular section that he studied and wrote. But it, it occurred to him in the shower when he was standing there and all of a sudden it came to him, hey, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And in fact... Not only does, um, twice in the book of James, in, in chapter 1 and in chapter 4, he cautions us about being double-minded. That this double-mindedness makes us unstable in everything that we do. The definition of double-mindedness is, is wavering in mind or being undecided. I think it's funny that even Paul... Um, acknowledges this, this condition in us when he says, I find myself doing things I don't want to do and unable to do the things that I want to do. And, and he recognized that within him, you know, when he does this battle that rages between the spiritual side of him and the flesh side of him, and it creates this double-mindedness in him. And I think for you and I, we live in a culture that is constantly perpetuating that double-mindedness and, and allows us to buy into it. And so I, I told you that I think the reason that occurs in us is because our compass is broken. And so I, 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 I kind of want to present an idea that, that perhaps the reason our, comp, our compass is broken is that it really starts in Genesis. It starts in the very beginning in the garden when Adam and Eve were tempted. And if you know the story, you know there was two trees. There was a tree of life and there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God had told them they could eat from any tree in the garden but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And one day the serpent tempted Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
But it was interesting to me, I had never really occurred to me exactly how he was tempted until I read it again and I really started praying these last few months. And so he tells them, so first of all, there was nothing inherently evil about the tree. The tree was just simply the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God didn't say it was the tree of evil. He said it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, don't eat of it because you'll surely die. And the serpent comes and he deceives him and he says, you won't surely die. God just knows that if you eat of that tree, you'll be like him. And so they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and suddenly their eyes are open to this knowledge. And I want to focus on this word knowledge for a second because that's where the Lord had me spend most of my time is because... <clears throat> First of all, I started doing a lot of study. There's, there's a ton of commentary out there on it, and, and some of it was pretty interesting in talking about the, the poetic language in which Moses used when he, when he, wrote, the, um, when he wrote the passage um, and how it really means the kind of the best way to do it is the knowledge of good and evil, but it really meant the knowledge of everything, like, like we were imparted with this knowledge of everything in between good and evil. But I want to challenge us with this idea that knowledge does not equate to wisdom. And I think that is where the brokenness occurs. That we've been deceived, our compass is broken because we, we in today's culture substitute knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is, the, is knowing the facts of something. Wisdom is being able to take knowledge and experience and know-how and apply the two of them. But Adam and Eve didn't get the wisdom to go along with the knowledge of good and evil. They were simply cursed with the knowledge of good and evil. That only, the only, the only eternal God, a, a creator that, that created all things, understands and has the wisdom to manage the knowledge that comes of good and evil. And the problem for you and I is that we perpetually eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which creates this double-mindedness in us, rather than eating of the tree of life. It, a, a real simple illustration occurred last week. I was um, out um, on a boat um, with, uh, with James Wheeler, and, uh, and I was learning to wake surf for the first time. Um, and so I'm, I had never wake surfed before, and if you don't know what wake surfing is, um, it's this crazy idea that you hold on this short rope right behind the boat, and it creates this big old wave, and you stand on this surfboard, and you're riding, riding this wave as if you're out, like, kind of like out in the ocean surfing, Okay. And, um, and so I, I'm, I'm, 40, I'm almost 46 years old. I have fallen enough tubing and wakeboarding to think this is probably going to be a bad idea. But, um, you know, James is like, oh, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. It'll be great. And he said, hey, but before you do it, I want you to watch this short little video. And so we go to, to YouTube and we watch this little quick little like 50-second tutorial on wakeboarding 101. And so when I get done, he's like, all right, so you got it, right? Let's, you, know, you know what you need to do? And I'm going, no, I don't have it. Like, I watched a 50-second video. I don't, I don't have it. And he's like, no, no, it's really, really simple. He's like, you know, you watch the video. And I looked at him, and I was like, yeah, I watched Dr. Jones do two C-sections on my wife, too. And I, and I know how that worked, but I'm not going to do it, right? Like, I, that, I don't have the wisdom to do a C-section. I might have the knowledge, like I've watched a video, I know you cut here, reach in and do that, but there's a lot more experience that goes along with that, right? You need a lot more wisdom than just the knowledge, okay? 
And so it occurred to me in that moment that just how often that we, 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 we have substituted and we, we have become arrogant and prideful in our knowledge of the good and evil that, that, that what that has done to us is when we buy into the enemy's lie, we buy into the servant's lie, that, that having that knowledge makes us like God. But that's not true. What it makes us is a house divided which cannot stand. It makes us double-minded. We have convinced ourselves that because we have the knowledge of good and evil, that we have the wisdom of good and evil. And there, in my opinion, lies our ultimate sin in our pride. You know, I was really thinking about how, how that brokenness affects us and and I was thinking really about three different groups. And the first group that I was thinking about was for the non-believer. The, the perpetual state of this double-mindedness um, for the non-believer and, and the prison that it entraps them in. And I was thinking about, first and foremost, the, the, the non-believer, this, this double-mindedness, this, this idea that, that they have the ability to discern what's good and what's evil and how to manage that. What it does is, first of all, it robs them of their hope, right? Because their hope is in their self. Their hope is in their ability to do that. I also thought about how it robs them of, of a true north. It robs them of, of an absolute, right? There's, there's no longer absolute truth for the non-believer, right? In fact, um, Judges warns us, and, and Judges even reminds us, that there was a time in the history of Israel where they had no king, and so every di everyone did what they thought was right in their own minds. And it led to a tremendous amount of hostility and heartache and bitterness and, and destruction within their people. And so I, I, I was thinking about those of us who may be in here today or those of us who are in our circle of influence who are non-believing and how because of that lack of faith, because of that lack of knowledge, their, their choice is to only eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil daily. And, and Scripture says that death occurs when we do that. But that's all the hope that they have is in the knowledge of good and evil and their best attempt to discern that. The problem with that is there's another verse that says there's a way that seems right to a man that ultimately leads to death. I thought about the agnostic, the undecided. Those who you know, maybe are in our midst or in our circle of influence who have heard of of the spiritual things that we believe in and of Christ and of this God that we serve but, but are still undecided. And they're, they're trapped in this perpetual state of unknown, right? This undecidedness, this, this wavering back and forth. I thought about Ephesians and how a lack of faith and maturity in fa immaturity in faith is, leaves us like a wave tossed back and forth. Right? And, and so... They, the, the agnostic finds themselves wanting to believe in, in, in the things of, of God but still undecided and there's not enough evidence to prove it and so they're, they're back and forth, back and forth. But then there's the believer. And I, my fear is for us is this, 
this eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil um, has its implications on us as well. In fact, all you have to do is, is look at the, the Old Testament and, and really even much of the New Testament and, and the struggles to break free from, from the law. You know, in the Old Testament, there were, there were 613 laws. When we eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we, we become a slave not to grace... We don't become a slave to, to the good news of the gospel. We become a slave to legalism. Right? Because, because we're constantly per, st- stuck in this perpetual state of, of trying to discern whether we're fulfilling the law or not. Right? And if you think about the, the, the Pharisees, that's, that was their whole mentality is, is living this perfectly meticulous life to make sure that they did everything perfect. And they, they abided by the laws. And so they took these laws and they broke them down. And they went, okay, well, that's what this law means. And so you, you can only, on Sundays, you can't work. So you can't move a mule but 10 feet. And you can't do this and you can't do that. And I don't know about you, but that's exhausting. It is exhausting to try to be good enough. It is exhausting to look at my actions and try to weigh them and judge them as God would do. And trying to earn grace. It produces in me anxiety. It produces in me doubt and fear. And it, it causes me to, to work even harder at being legalistic. So how do we fix that? What's the fix? The simple truth is we stop eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That we stop buying into this lie that somehow this knowledge that we've been cursed with this had, that's created this self-righteousness in this, this, this false sense of godliness in this that, that what we do is we humble ourselves and we recognize that, that, we, need, that we need to eat from the tree, the tree of life. That we need to allow ourselves to become slaves and prisoners of the Most High God and obedient to His Lordship. I think about how we live in a culture today that, that is constantly... De- I was reading some study the other day that says like 54% of, of professing believers don't believe that the Word of God is the Word of God. The only bread of life we have isn't the Word of God. Then what hope do we have? The tree of life is eternal. The tree of life is sustaining. The tree of life implies health and wholeness. To the non-believer... Hope in Him brings peace and direction. Proverbs tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all ways submit to Him and He will make straight your path. I thought about, I was running camp the other week and I, I was teaching the kids how to read a map. And, uh, and I had a map of the Uari National Forest and I was doing this on the last day and... Um, 
of camp, and so they had already spent some time in the URIs, and so they've got this big, massive map that covers probably 50 square miles. And what we were doing is we were showing them on the map where they were at the other day when we started. And I was kind of teaching them how to use a map to read and uh, to navigate from point A to point B. And, and most of them had never read a map, never used a map. And, and so we had to really, really start with the basics. But, but within just a little bit of instruction, um, all of them agreed that, that it, w- it would be difficult. But they think that they could find their way from Morrow Mountain to Albemarle. Because they have, they at least have a map to give them a sense of direction. They, they acknowledge that they didn't fully understand how to use it. Um, they didn't fully understand its potential. But having that definitely instilled in them a greater sense of hope that they could be successful. And so if you're here today or watching this online and you're the non-believer, I, I, I'm not... I'm not trying to single you out or make you feel bad, but I'm inviting you into this hope that we find in Christ, this sense of direction that we have. Um, We don't have all the answers, but we know who does. For the agnostic, John tells us that he is the way and the truth and the life. That Jesus, if you think about Jesus when he called Peter to walk on water, you know, if they truly are like a wave tossed back and forth, it was Peter's lack of uncertainty that caused him to sink. It was his indecisiveness because if you think about it, when he first started out, he was confident that Jesus was who he says he was, but as he became less confident in that, he began to sink, right? The illustration that came to my mind there was I was thinking about rock climbing and, and rock climbing is one of those things that, that I love to, to facilitate and teach because no matter how many times we tell people that the equipment will do what it says it's, it's going to do, ultimately <clears throat> it, requires a, it requires faith, right? It requires them and even as they're climbing it, it's funny to watch the fear in their eyes of going, have you got me? Are you sure this is going to hold? And then they'll get to the top of a route and the only way to get down is for them to go, you got me? And we say yes as the, as the facilitator, the belayer. And they simply let go and they weight the equipment and we're able to lower them back down. And it's not until that moment that they know that they know that the equipment will hold them. And so, if you're here today and you're undecided, my challenge for you is that this tree of life that we're talking about offers you a faith that sustains you. It offers you a a faith and a hope and a confidence to experience the things of God. And for the believer. I thought about Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ, the law of the Spirit who gave life set you free from the law of sin and death. And I don't have to, I don't have to, to struggle in my knowledge of good and evil. I can choose as a follower and a believer of Christ to eat from the tree of life. I can, I can put my hope and my trust and my belief in the one who sustains me, who, who, who has both knowledge and wisdom. 
Wisdom is one of those things that we, that we learn through experience. That we learn as we walk on this journey with Christ and, and as we choose to move right and left and, and God through his grace and his kindness leads us back, right? You think about the wisdom that the prodigal son had after he returned compared to the wisdom that he had when he left. He had a tremendous amount of knowledge, right? He had a lot of knowledge about his father's wealth. He had a lot of knowledge about who his father was and what he was capable of. And he had a lot of knowledge about what the world offered. But the wisdom that he had when he surrendered to himself and he returned to the father Why does this matter? Because all you got to do is watch the news. I finally gave up watching the news. I just can't take the bickering and I can't take the divisiveness and the anger and the judgment as, as everyone tries to do what they think is right in their own mind. It steals my joy. It makes me anxious. And it bases my decisions on judgment. And that is something that I'm ill-equipped for. I was thinking, I looked up a verse a minute ago, and as we were, as Charles was praying, I I was thinking about uh, in Colossians in Colossians 2:8 it says see that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies which depend on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than that of Christ. Is that not the world that we live in now? That, that when we eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we allow ourselves to be deceived and we allow ourselves to buy into to worldly things. We need that next big thing. We need that next... I, I'm convinced that the, the biggest struggle in my wife's life is HGTV. Because it feeds that dissatisfaction and that, that desire to have more is more and more is better and bigger is better and better is better. So here's how I'm going to choose. I'm going to invite the band to come up. Here's how I'm going to choose to eat from the tree of life. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident in all things. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God will transcend all understanding and will guard your heart and your mind in Christ. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. Colossians 3 says, whatever you do, 
work at it as with all your heart as you're working for the Lord and not for human masters. My challenge for us today, church, is, is to set aside our self-righteousness, to, to forego knowledge and pursue wisdom. And what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was unable to give us, the tree of life can fulfill. And when we eat from that tree and we embrace the wisdom of Christ through his leadership and our submission, we are forever changed. Let's pray. Father God, my prayer for us as a body is that we submit ourselves to your lordship that we acknowledge you in all things that we set aside our selfish desires that we fix our eyes on you that we focus on the things that are unseen and that we we no longer eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil but we eat from the tree of life the life that is in us given freely by Christ as he sacrificed himself for us Jesus I thank you for who you are and I pray for your daily bread that you would feed me from that tree and that I would submit to your lordship and that we as a body of believers would do the same Holy Spirit, we invite you to move in our midst, to remove the veil of this world that's been placed over our eyes so that we may see you for who you are, and that we are no longer blinded by our self-righteousness and our pride and our fear and our doubts, but whether we rejoice in the grace and forgiveness that is offered. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.